Hello, hello, and welcome back to Own Your Ish. I'm your host, Cynthia Korn. And for all of my return listeners, I am very grateful that you decided to tune in again. And for all of my new listeners, thank you for choosing Own Your Ish to be in your podcast playlist. Um, today's episode is going to be part one of a series on race and racism in America and, and how we as white folks can really start to step up to the plate. Um, and so we're going to be unpacking a lot of very heavy, very intense um, topics over the next several weeks. And so I'm going to ask that if you have not taken a listen to some of the first episodes, go back. I encourage you to do that, especially those when we talk about vulnerability and uh, about self-reflection and about how we just kind of need to kind of own our shit, right? Like that's the whole basis of this podcast. And I will say that I first started this podcast, I was inspired uh, last summer when um when we started to see so much happening in America, we kind of saw this explosion and I've heard it referred to as like a racial reckoning. And although as a history teacher, I can say that this is nothing new, um, uh, black uh, and indigenous people of color have been fighting for equality and for their rights and just to be seen as human beings since forever. Um, it's, you know, it, it, this is nothing new, but it really has kind of come to the forefront for many of us, because of the fact that now we have cell phones that can record everything, there is a lot more awareness that is happening. And when that starts to happen, white supremacy starts to rear its ugly head. And you can see time and time again in history. And um, for anyone who wants to debate this, please find me. Uh, let me know. I will gladly engage in this in this dialogue and, and pinpoint just to show you exactly how white supremacy will kind of come in and try to take down any and all progress that people of color have made in this country since, uh, since they were, and, and since, since their freedom and, and really even since then we can't even, I, I hesitate to use that word. You heard that kind of that pause in there because can we really say that people of color are free? I, I don't think we can. Um, they are quote unquote free in the sense that they are, you know, a citizen of this of, of the United States and they, you know, have access to all the same rights and privileges that that we do as white people, but it's not applied the same, right? Like, yes, they have access to that, but do they really have access and are they allowed to access that when needed? And so, you know, as we begin to unpublish or unpublish, unpack, kind of this whole idea about race and racism in America, one of the first things that I wanted to do is, is to speak directly to my white listeners. And I know that's a majority of people in my audience. And the reason why I do this is because I think as white people, we typically tend to think that other people owe it to us to give us information, right? Like if what I see most often from white people is that well, if, if people of color want equality, t like, tell me, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Help me to know what I need to do. Well, why, why is it like this? And instead of doing their own research. And so that's really where we're going to start diving in is to start unpacking this. And when I say white people, it's okay for us to say that I'm white. Uh, I'm a whole white female. And when I say that, it means that I am a cisgender heterosexual white female, um, which puts me pretty close to the top of the, the racial hierarchy that we see in our society. 
Um, but it's time to start dismantling that hierarchy because at the very tip top of this hierarchy, you're going to see uh, white cisgendered men, right? So when we take a look at even how our country got founded, this is what happened. It was white landowning men, which today that's, you know, the, the men who have all the wealth. Okay. So think of Jeff Bezos, think, think, um, you know, uh, all the people who own like tons and tons of money, all your fortune 500, hundred folks, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Steve jobs, you know, those, those are kind of at the pinnacle. They're at the peak of the racial hierarchy. Um, and you know, kind of depending on where you live in the rest of the country, um, and also how you were brought up and how you're raised and what your lens is, you, you may see the hierarchy different, but the thing is that we need to be able to do right now is as white folks, one of the first things that we need to be able to do is just kind of know where we're at on, on this journey of becoming culturally aware and able to kind of build our capacity to engage in the work that's inside. And that's what we were talking about in the last episode is that when we think about race and racism and how do we be, you know, it's not less racist, but anti-racist as we start moving from the the racist people that we are to becoming anti-racist, which is an intentional effort put forward, um, we we have to know where we're at on that journey. Are, are you just becoming aware that there are issues? Um, and and maybe you are, maybe this is all very new and you had like had no idea. Um, I grew up in, in a space in the world where, uh, we were a, you know, fairly diverse community. Um, but pretty much you were either white or you were brown. Right. And, uh, I didn't really have a clear understanding of what was going on in the world. I didn't really even know. And, and, and still to this day, I can't speak on personal, experiences of my friends in high school or in middle school or, you know, just living in that community. Um, and that's, that's communication that I need to dive into because like, I didn't even realize that they may have grown up and had, you know, these racist thoughts and thrown at them and, you know, maybe they were called names and I don't know. And it just really wasn't made a big deal. And I know that there was racism because I would hear kind of some of the, the slang or the slur terms that were thrown at people, but I don't think I was fully aware of what that impact really looked like. And so I can say I'm, I'm still pretty new, uh, uh, less than a decade that I've really been intentionally diving into this work. So for me, I know that I can confidently say that as a white female, I am fully aware of, of the racism that is baked in me, but I also fully understand that I am anti-racist and I am consistently doing the work. And this is, and this is a journey. Notice that I said, don't, you know, where are you on, on, on the road or where are you on, on, on the, the path to this destination? Because it's not being anti-racist is something that it is an intentional mindset. It is work that is constantly done. We can't ever sit here in this space and say, oh, yep, I'm anti-racist. I don't ever have to do anything. I'm great. No, because when we think about even how we got here, and it, this is for a whole other episode, but just a quick little synopsis, like, right, we talked about how our country was founded by those white land-owning men, so those who held wealth. So even if you were a white man but didn't own land, our country was not founded for you either, right? So classism, capitalism, and race kind of all came into play, and when slavery 
was ended, it didn't really end. It was just white supremacy got really super creative and found other ways to oppress because the idea of white supremacy, that if you're white, you must be right, that, you know, we couldn't even fathom. You know, it was very few people. And even those who, you know, were abolitionists at the time, you know, really it was like, yeah, we want to get rid of slavery, but I'm not so sure I want to get rid of like my servants here or treat my servants of color the same as, as myself and as, as other people. So, you know, we've had a long way to go as white people to really kind of come to this point that we see today. And this is where you have the option, right? That's the privilege that you have. You have the option to engage in this work or not. But I encourage you to know that this is, you know, to tell yourself that this isn't an option. For me, this is why I do this podcast. I got inspired to do this podcast because of what I saw last summer. Like we we saw clearly that George Floyd was murdered, that Ahmaud Arbery was execu- was was murdered, right? Like he was murdered in plain daylight. Uh, Breonna Taylor. Uh, I, I mean, I could go on and on, and even into Kansas City, where we're seeing even in just the last few months, Malcolm Johnson executed. You know, just just for being black, and how many times we see these stories time and time again, and yet I I still have white people on my Facebook page or even in the community to my face that will say things that make me go, really? How can you not see what I'm seeing, and how can you not understand that as white people we do have an obligation to make things better? And so, quite often, one of the the um, arguments that I, that I get against doing any of this work or even starting to admit how racist we are as white people as, as a whole, um, and, and individually too. So don't, so don't think that we get away from this because, you know, in America we've got this rugged individualism and yeah, so know your shit, own your shit. You are racist. I'm racist, but I am working towards being anti-racist. I, I am constantly trying to battle myself. But what I often hear from white people is that, well, I didn't own slaves. I don't own slaves. You were never a slave. I don't owe you nothing. And it is not that we owe them, quote unquote, something. But it is on us to do the work to not make things worse. Like We are now fully aware that black people and, indig- and people of color, let's just say people of color, because I... I see what it's like for those who are of Hispanic descent, um, who, you know, come from south of the border. I see even how immigrants were treated during the coronavirus, who were from Asian countries. Um, And basically, our society boils down to it is white and everybody else. And, And we see this, you know, you go into your grocery store, there's an ethnic aisle. So if we were all the same race, we wouldn't need that. We wouldn't need to separate things out. But race is something that was created by man and it was created by white men to create that superiority, right? This is why we have colonialism. Uh, You hear colonizer. Yes, white people, we were colonizers. We came in, we took over land, uh, we forcibly removed people, we murdered people, there was genocide, um, you know, so don't get it twisted that there is not, there is not a, there is not a group of people non-white people that have not been marginalized, oppressed, or discriminated against in this country, period. And so where we're at right now, when we think of race, let's just 
be in the space of understanding that, yes, we do see it and, and we know what is happening, right? So we see that. Um, so one of the first things I want to just make sure that we do as we start to dive into this episode is talking about how we see race and, and, and really how it's defined, right, in the social context now. Because race can refer to, you know, you, you take off a box, and where we're getting to now with so many different kind of, you know, as, as we start to see our, our society shifting, um, races are, are becoming mixed, right? Like we're, we are blending and we are becoming really this uh, amazing society. And I'm, I'm so excited to see that the, the blend um, and how we are coming together and that, you know, could it be possible that we wouldn't even have to talk about you know, about race, but where we're at right now, yes, we do have to talk about it. And why do we have to talk about it? Because that is a whole part of who people are, right? It is definitely how you go through this world and to sit there and say, well, I don't see race. I'm colorblind. No, no, you're not. Let's not lie. Own your shit. When like I look at my partner, he is a black man. I can't sit here and say that when I look at him, I only see him as a man. No, I don't. He is a black man because our brains are wired to categorize people. So part of what we do with race is that as soon as we see somebody, we want to put them into a category, which typically tends to lead to the questions, right? About, no, where are you from? No, really, where are you from? right? You ask somebody where they're from. Oh, I'm from, I'm from Brooklyn. No, 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 no. Where are you really from? Because we want to, we want to put them into a category because our brains don't deal well with ambiguity, right? And not knowing. We've talked about this before. Brains are wired for story. And when there's an absence of a story or there's an absence of a category in which we can place somebody, our brains just start to make it up. Right. And that story that gets made up or the category that we apply to somebody comes from our lived experiences. So we as white people, like when you look at at at, at the rest of the world, how you define it and how you categorize it is based on how you experience the world, right? And when we take a look at how a black man or a black woman um, or, you know, an indigenous uh, female, an indigenous male might walk through this world is very different than what I as a white woman does. And so I cannot sit here and say that I fully understand, but the work that I do in understanding that race is a part of who we are and it impacts our experiences really helps me to kind of engage in this work a lot differently. So, you know, the reason why we want to define race in that way is how you present out in the world, um, because we just don't know, right? Like until somebody self-identifies, race is kind of how how you show up in the world. So, um, for example, um, we have, Cecil has a cousin who is a black female. Um, Her mother is white. Um, But when you look at her, because she is so light-skinned, she is what you may hear referred to as white passing. And she understands, and she has shared with us, like she understands that privilege that comes with that as as a black female who can present out in the world as white, um, you know, that, that is, that is a privilege that she's had, but there is still a whole facet of who she is as a black female that must be honored and recognized as well, because that is an experience that she's had. Um, and so even though we don't really need race, and it was created by white people to create this racial hierarchy. It, I just want to circle back to the fact that it is important for us to recognize race in other people and in ourselves, right? Because as a white person, 
I have to understand that that's how I've gone through this world. That's how I've experienced it. And the fact that I didn't really even fully understand that black people struggled in this country. I, great, I didn't understand the full scope and the weight of it. I saw it on the news. I, I saw it in my history books and we talked about it, but right. There was never this really intentional deep dive to kind of connect all the dots and to understand where I, as a white person fit into the story now, right. Of race and racism in America, where we're at today, like wh- where is it that I'm at right now and what can I do? Okay. So we've talked about knowing where you're at on this journey. Um, and, and part of knowing where we're at on this journey is that we cannot deny racism. Um, because you cannot say that you're anti-racist. You can't even say that you're not racist, which I'll talk about in a second is not the same as anti-racist. But we cannot deny racism in, the, in this world, right? It is there. It happens. Whether you see it or not, whether you experience it or not, it's there. And to dismiss it or deny that it's happening is not part of this work. So that's first and foremost. Know where you're at on this journey. Just own it that racism is out there. Our, our society is baked in it. We, we are, like, you can't get away from it. As white people, that's why I say all white people are racist. We all are. Um, how we've seen movies and media and on the news and how our friends talk about it, how our how our grandparents talked about it. And very, very few of us can sit here and say that we've never heard our parents or our grandparents. Now I I've never heard my parents say it. Um, but I have heard my grandmother say it. Um, and I remember even hearing it at that time and going, cause, uh, we were watching TV and there was a, uh, mu- uh, what was it like jazz, um, I can't even remember, but there were black musicians on stage, um, big, big band, jazz type music. And I remember, um, my grandmother throwing out the N word as a slur. We're not going to listen to that N word music. And I just was like, what? But how my parents just kind of dismissed it and said, well, you know, she comes from a different time and da, 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 da. And, and I really wish at that point in time that we could have had a different conversation, but I realized that my parents were not at a place to be able to even recognize, right? Like we just didn't really talk about race in the way that we should have and definitely not in the way that we are now. And so for me, it was like, I knew that that was wrong. It sat wrong. I felt it kind of jolt in me, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't even know how to even unpack all of that and what that was about. And so that's like what has led me to this journey and, and where I'm at in Kansas city and the trainings that I've gone to and how I'm engaging in the world and what I want to do next. And again, this is what brought us to this podcast, right? Was to say, you know, how is it that people cannot see what I'm seeing? And sometimes it's because we're ignorant and part, part of that ignorance comes from our willfulness, our willfulness to stay ignorant or the fact that we just don't even know where to go. And in the conversations that I've had with some of my white friends, it was like, they, they understand what's going on. They understand the importance of it and they know that they need to do something, but it's what, what do we do? Um, you know, and I want to kind of also start to unpack the thing about us being as white people being racist. Cause that tends to typically send a lot of people into defensiveness and they'll throw their hands up and like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I'm nice to everybody. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm just here to say that racism is not deleted or dismantled or it doesn't disappear just because you're nice. 
that is not the same as being anti-racist. Because oftentimes what happens is when we say, just be nice, just be nice to everybody, treat everybody the same, that is A, denial that racism is out there, and B, it is simply just a mask that we put on racism, right? Because it allows it to happen, just sweeps it under the rug. And, you know, kind of what we saw when Trump came into office, and this is kind of one of very few silver linings I can I can find from this administration, but when he came into office, like... I felt like he really ripped the niceness mask off of America, threw back the rugs, kicked all of it up, like dust is flying everywhere. Racism is flaring up again. And it's, you know, we want to say, well, see, look, it's flaring up. It's, 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 it's new. It's all him. We want to blame him. And you can, you can blame Trump, but he didn't invent racism. What he did is he perfected white supremacy and the way in which he wielded his words and his power and his whiteness in order to, he, he weaponized his whiteness. And what he did is he fanned the flames of racism and we were able to see quite clearly, right? And this is when, when you hear people that talked about either you are going to support Trump and all the racism and, and all the misogyny and all the patriarchy that comes along with him or you're against it. And that that really was the dichotomy that we had. And a lot of people I know, for instance, well, I'm just supporting him because he's Republican and we have we can agree to disagree. You're right. We can agree to disagree on on whether we want to vote for a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, we can. But what we can't agree to disagree on is racism, right? Like it's that that's just it. And so for me it was that I could not support Trump. And it was even hard for me to support people who who were in support of Trump, right? Like trying to figure out that it it's not good or bad. And that that's the next part of racism that we want to talk about is that oftentimes we get into this good, bad binary that if you are good, you are not racist. If you are bad, you are racist. Like, right? Like we can't sit here and say, I am racist and consider myself a good person. Okay. And, and that's just not it. And racism is not a good, bad thing. It is so steeped in who we are that it it like it just happens almost like we were breathing. We don't even have to think about it. It's just there. And so to do this work, it's really hard because we have to admit that, right? Like I have to admit that I'm a racist. And so the work that I do is to make sure that the racism that's inside of me, that's that has fueled my biases my whole life, I have to do the work to make sure that that racism does not impact my decisions or how I treat other people or even, you know, how I show up in terms of, you know, being an advocate for, for people. So I have to do the inside work and that's owning it with me and like questioning myself. Like, why did I, why am I thinking like that? Why did I say that? And, and also being open to hearing the experiences from other people right? And not dismissing or denying their experiences. Okay. And so as we start to, to dive a little bit deeper in, into this, um, Ibrahim Kendi, he wrote, uh, how to be an anti-racist wonderful book. I'm starting to dive into that a little bit more. And there is a journal that you can use along with the book. It's not, uh, you don't have to do them together. Uh, you can do the journal completely by yourself. Um, I just prefer to kind of read the book and this is for me, the next step that I'm diving in, right? Like I've, I've done some other, you know, beyond diversity training and really helping me to understand some different pieces. But this is the next step that I want to start working on is how to be anti-racist. And what he said, um, you know, when we talk about 
being racist and not racist and being not racist versus anti-racism. Like what's really the difference? And Ibrahim Kendi said that being not saying that you are not racist endorses a racial hierarchy, right? We talked about that. When you say that you're not racist, you still prescribe to the fact that there is a racial hierarchy, right? Like that, that the white men are at the top, everyone else is below them. But when we talk about, um, anti-racism though, that is what promotes racial equality. And that's what we're going towards, right? That everybody gets what they need in order to be successful because that's fair. When we think about being fair, it's not that you and I get the same thing. It's I get what I need to be successful and you get what you need to be successful because it may be two different things. And so as we start to take a look at racial equality in the, in this world, it's, it's the work that we start to do as white people to dismantle white supremacy and racism inside of each of us so that we don't continue to perpetuate that, that harm. And so when we look at anti-racism, this is where we start to really take a look at, at the difference between being not racist versus anti-racist. And what are we looking at? So when you say you're not racist, um, it still, again, is a mask for racism. And so part of that is that you believe that there are problems with groups of people, right? Like we, that, that all the problems are simply, you know, based on, on who they are as individuals, instead of being anti-racist, which is the camp that I choose to work towards, right? This is where I want to be is because I want to look at the root causes because I fully understand that when I look here in Kansas, even here in Kansas city, we have a racial dividing line right? Like why is it that east of Troost Avenue is predominantly black and not as, there, there's not as much attention paid to, paid to that part of town as there is to west of Troost. And that's where you start to see, I, I'm not even kidding where I lived. I could walk three blocks and feel like I'm in a whole different part of town simply because of that racial dividing line. And we got here to this point in America based on all the things that have happened in our history. So yes, events that happened 400 years ago impact us still today. It is because that that white supremacist ideology that was not embedded in the the colonizers that or the colonists that came over, right? Like that that didn't start as soon as they landed on this land. No, this is this is a thought process that that has been pervasive for quite some time. And then it got leveraged as it, as people came here. So as we look at anti-racism, this is where we start to look at the root causes and how we can make it better. And then Richard Spencer, um, a, a writer, said that um, racist isn't being called a racist is not a slur. It's a description. And the only way to dismantle racism is to constantly identify and describe it. So when people, um, I, I know for me, the pushback that I get a lot is you make everything about race. Um, I often get told um, to remind myself that I'm not black, um, that not everything is about race. And and to that, I just have to say you're wrong because everything is about race. Because if it wasn't, then then no one would ever have to complain, right? No one would ever need to fight for more rights. No, no one would be, you know, even when we start to take a look at the data in terms of policing, right? So if everything were equal and everyone was the same and racism didn't actually exist, right? If we lived in this utopian world that most white people want to say exists, I, we're going to, 
we would see that the data shows up that if black people are, you know, just throwing out percentages here, let's just say, you know, in your community, if black people were 13% of your community, then they would represent roughly about 13% of your crime. If white people were 60% of your community, they would represent 60% of your crime. And unfortunately, because of so many different factors and so many different uh, multifaceted layers, that that's just not the case, right? And we'll unpack this a little bit more as we go on, but this is the piece that I really want to hammer into all of us and, and to remember that the work that we do is constant, right? Like we're constantly seeing it. We have to call it out when we see it. And we have to be doing the work inside of each of us so that we can show up differently, right? So that we do not become the perpetuators of harm, that we do not become the ones who are oppressing or the ones who are marginalizing other people. So I have to do that work to to make sure that I don't perpetuate the same harm and help to dismantle the systems that cause all of this harm, right? So it's two-pronged. It's outward work and it's also inside work. And so as we begin to talk about um, action steps, right, as as we come to the end of of this episode, what I'd like for you to listen to now is just some action steps. And these, uh, again, it is not an exhaustive list. Um, It is not even all inclusive. It is simply just five simple steps that you can take as a white person to start moving from that space of, of, being not racist towards being anti-racist and an ally, and even possibly kind of moving yourself into becoming a co-conspirator. And yes, there are differences. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode is the differences between an ally, uh, being not racist, anti-racist, an ally and co-conspirator. What does all of that mean? And how does all that come into play? But as we start thinking about the action steps that you can take is that we need to acknowledge your privilege first and foremost. So I, as a white person, there are so many things that I don't even have to think about. I don't have to think about my safety when I get into the car other than buckling my seatbelt and staying under the speed limit because I don't want to get a ticket. I don't have to think about when I get pulled over by the cops, I may die. I don't have to think about how I show up in a space other than am I talking too much, not talking enough, like, right, those are the things that really go through my head. I don't have to be hyper vigilant about how I show up due to, to the color of my skin because there are biases from other people that are placed upon people of color, right? So they're constantly have to monitor themselves in, in situations in a way that white people, we just don't have to. And the fact of the matter of the privilege that we talked about at the very beginning uh, of, of this episode is about like, you have the option, right? You have the option to stick in this work or not. And that is in an, in and of itself is a privilege. And I also want to recognize that, um, political apathy, not caring about who gets elected, not caring about what laws are passed or how they impact us as individuals. Like when you sit there and say, well, I'm just not very political and it doesn't really bother me and I don't really want to be a part of that, that in and of itself is a privilege as well. The fact that you don't even have to worry that laws may be written against you, right? Like we're seeing this right now with the Voting Rights Act. We're seeing it with how they're trying to strip away rights for females and and notice who is not being impacted by any of the new laws or policies white men, period, right? Rich white men, basically. And so as we recognize our privilege, what it is, how it interacts in the world, 
what we what we've been given because of our privilege and know that privilege does not discount or deny your hard work right but what we do have to recognize is what that privilege is how how we show up in spaces with our privilege and also my question is always what are you doing with your privilege this right here using my voice to speak out and to share information about how to be anti-racist. This is me utilizing my privilege. This is me leveraging my privilege to help make things better, right? To help change things, to help dismantle racism. Because I know that as a whole white female, that there's a lot more that I can get away with, that I can say, that I can do, um, that other people of color may not be able to, right? So I, I, try to be very intentional about utilizing my privilege to uplift others, to educate white people, and to also make sure that I'm calling out racism when I see it. Like standing up, standing in that gap, utilizing my privilege for good. You can do that. You can also weaponize your privilege. And we see that white women with your tears, again, that's something else we'll talk about in another episode, but white women tears often, the whole, our whole existence in this country right? White tears have been weaponized in order to oppress, marginalize, and kill people of color. So uh, just own that privilege, know what it is, know how it shows up and and really check yourself on that and recognize that you can use it for good. Um, but also monitor yourself for when you see yourself kind of leveraging that privilege to, you know, to harm other people. And that might show up in the form of, I'm going to call the police on a, like you saw Amy Cooper in New York when she, uh, the guy was out bird watching and she starts calling and you can hear her that there is a black man, you know, you see that she is freaking out using her white tears and calling the police on a black man knowing, right? Like knowing that the police will come in and cause harm. That is weaponizing your privilege. Okay. So just recognize if you've ever done that or uh, you've seen that happen, we're going to call it out. And if it's happening in you, question yourself, why did you feel like you needed to do that? And where did that come from? And then start to do the work to unpack and dismantle that in yourself so that moving forward, you don't do that. You don't, you, you, you're not kind of in that space of letting your privilege take over and, and do, do harm to other people. So we talked about first acknowledging your privilege. The second thing is Know what you don't know. As a white person, I don't know what it's like to live in this world as a person of color, period. I just don't. I can try to understand. I can read about their experiences. I can listen as they're sharing stories. I, I can do a lot of reading. I, and I do a lot of that. I listen to podcasts. I try to do all of this to understand, you know, kind of to, I because I understand that there's a lot of ignorance in me about how race and racism has really impacted people of color in this country. Like I, I know about it, I've taught about it, but did I really understand the concept or the kind of the impact that it's had? And I, I can't say that I fully understand that I'm working on that, but that is me knowing what I don't know. Okay. And when you don't know, be okay with saying, I don't know. And then from there, go on to, to lessen your ignorance, do the work to know, right? To, to, to make sure that you're fully aware. And as we lessen our ignorance, we can uplift others by sharing our knowledge with them. So, um, we talked about acknowledging your privilege, know what you don't know. The third step is to what I just talked about. Listen, read, take it all in and reflect. Biggest tip that I can give 
Do less talking. Far less talking. More listening. And part of this is also, again, I'm going to say, do not ask your black and indigenous friends of color (laughs) or family to, to do your labor, right? Like it is on us as white people to do our own work, do some researching, Google it, find out, um, you know, and, and it can be like simple little things. And I, and I don't want to trivialize, you know, how white people are asking BIPOC folks to, you know, help them learn more, but like things like maybe you want to know about why, why black women do their hair the way that they do it. Right. Maybe you want to understand, well, why, why are dreads or braids or cornrows, why are those considered cultural for black people? Um, and what is cultural appropriation? If I, as a white person decided to do my hair like that, well, Google, why, why is it that they do that? Do you, do you know why? Do you know, um, even about black hair? Like those are things that we have to do now. If we have friends that are volunteering, right? Like volunteering their information, volunteering their time, that that's one thing, but it's still really important. Like even, even when we have, like my partner is black and it's still not on him to do my work. Like he may share his stories and I'm going to listen in, but I know that for the most part, it is me that I need to do my work. And I am studying my people right? My white history. I I'm researching that and knowing what that looks like and how, how it has come to be where it is today. So acknowledging privilege, know what you don't know. Listen, 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 read, 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 and then reflect. The biggest thing is you have to reflect on this and what it looks like inside of you. Um, and then the fourth thing is seek understanding first. First and foremost, uh, think back to last summer when we saw this kind of big surge of protests. Instead of, you know, saying, oh, I can't believe they burned down those buildings and da 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 And it's like, yeah, I could get behind their message, but I can't, I can't support those who are, who are rioting and burning. No, stop. Check your white privilege because that's white privilege showing up right there. It is. That's white supremacy. It Because white supremacy helps keep white folks in order too, Right. And so we start to prioritize buildings and physical things over human beings because we didn't seek understanding as to why are they rioting? Why are they burning buildings? Why are they even protesting? Right? Where's that coming from? And when we start to seek to understand, it helps us to understand like what, what have, what have those people that are protesting, right? What have they been through? What have they experienced that I haven't? right? Because if people are sitting out there protesting police brutality and you are sitting over here defending the thin blue line and back the blue, which is complete bullshit because it's blue, blue lives don't exist. Like it is a white life that put on a blue shirt. So just miss me with all that mess. It's complete bullshit. But if you're sitting over here on the side of saying that you want to support the cops, well, I've never experienced any police brutality. My neighborhood is completely safe. We don't have cops everywhere. Well, why is that? Why is that? Well, because as white people, we don't have to see that. I know here in Kansas City, when you look at Johnson County, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, like as you take a look at that county, it looks a lot different than it, than it does uh, here in Kansas City, in South Kansas City, where I live, Right. Are we, we are a militarized over police zone. 
And that is done on purpose. And so instead of sitting over there on the side, defending the cops, maybe you should ask yourself, and it's not maybe you should, you should be asking yourself, what is it that they experienced that I haven't? And how can I start to understand more about what they've been through? And so for me, no, I haven't experienced police brutality, but I've seen it on camera. I've had friends that have told me about it and that's enough. So as we seek to understand, I also want to kind of just slip in there to just believe black black people, period. Believe black people. And I I don't even have to unpack that anymore other than quit dismissing what they're saying. Don't, Don't sit there and say, well, I haven't experienced it like that. Therefore, it must not exist. Again, that's privilege. That's whiteness showing up. And, and, and again, we think about that. If I, as a white person say, well, I haven't experienced it. Therefore it must not be real. Do you see how that happens? And and that's not how it works. There are people that go through things that deserve to be heard and, and they deserve to have our labor and our efforts to dismantle the systems that are causing the harm because I, I cannot sit over here and enjoy my freedom as a whole white female. Until I know that all people, me and everyone else, are treated the same, period, right? Making sure that everybody gets what they need. But that's just not happening right now. So seeking to understand and asking yourself, like, why first before we start to dismiss everything? And even those of us who show up to protest against white supremacy, um, even those of us who say that we're anti-racist, we still have to seek understanding first. Because we can't always know and we can't ever sit there and say, well, I've heard five black people say their stories and, and their experiences. Therefore, I am completely well-versed into how the black population experiences this world. And that's just you know not, not possible. So this is constantly seeking to understand what's going on and to better understand how we uh, as white people fit into this situation right now and how we can start to make it better, right? That's why we're seeking to understand. Um, and then finally get solid in owning your racism, right? We've talked about this already earlier in the episode, but it really is the biggest piece. If you're white, we, we we're racist. It, it, white people were racist. There's no debate. Just stop trying to, to get rid of that. Like, uh, well, yes, you want to do the work. <laughs> what I meant by that is stop trying to dismiss that as a slur. It's not, it's just a descriptor. It's just who we are but we are doing the work to become anti-racist. This is our first step in doing that. And that as we begin to do the work to become anti-racist, we start to dismantle the white supremacy and the racism inside of us. So once it's dismantled in each of us individually, it stops being put out into the world. And that is when we're going to start to see change. And systems have to be changed and systems can only be changed by people because it is people that set those systems up. Okay. So we, we did a lot of deep dive into this and if you made it this far, congratulations. I'm glad that you stuck with it. That's some persistence and some resilience that you'll need. Um, but just know that this is an ongoing journey. Um, you're not going to get it right tomorrow. Um, I am engaged to a phenomenal black man. And I still mess up, but I own it. And, and it's when those biases, that unconscious stuff starts to kind of creep up and comes out of my mouth or, and it's a lot of times it's not what I'm saying or doing, but it's maybe a lot of what I've seen lately is the lack of saying the lack of doing 
because I just didn't understand kind of how racism was showing up in that moment for me. Right. And so I, I unpack that. I do that work to kind of come to the other side of that and make sure that I dismantle, unpack, know where all that came from so that I don't repeat it moving forward. Okay. So no, you're not going to be perfect in this. Um, and racism exists in, in every person, institutionalized racism, systemic racism. And we're going to get into more of that in other episodes, um, because there is not a group of people in this country that are not impacted by racism. Right. And as we start to look at institutional and structural systemic racism, like it even starts to affect communities of color. Right. And, and you start to see that, um, Candace Owens, I think is probably the biggest example that I can give. And she's pretty easy to see as a black woman who literally stands up and speaks against everything. I feel like I, I really feel um, that there is some anti-blackness that comes out of her. Um, but again, that comes, that comes from racism that, that is even in her, right. That, that kind of internalized racism. And that comes because of the fact that racism is so embedded into the very fabric of our society that there is not one person in this country. And I can even say in this world, but I focus mainly on the United States, um, that doesn't have some type of of story, right? With racism, because it has impacted all of us and kind of how we've gone through life and experienced it has brought us to this point. And so as we begin to move forward, know that this is a lot of work that we have to do inside, start unpacking, read, reflect, get a journal, um, how to be an anti-racist journal from Ibrahim, uh, Ibrahim Kendi is, is a great start. Um, but just know that this is ongoing work and that you're not going to get it right every single time. Um, but as Brene Brown has said, and I've said it before, um, but it's one of my favorite quotes of her, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. And as a white person in this work, I am not here to be right. I want to get it right. I want to show up in a way that allows me to stand in the gap for my friends of color. Okay. So with that being said, um, protect black women. Um, Simone Biles just kind of stood up for, a, uh, stood up for mental health, but she also stood up for every black woman in, in, in the world. Um, and we also saw that with Naomi Osaka, um, like period, we just need to really protect black women at this time because, um, they are under a lot of attack, a lot of scrutiny that is very unfairly placed against them. So, um, that's going to be my stance that you hear right now. Cause I'm, I'm seeing that start to creep out and seeing how white supremacy and racism is really coming to attack black females because they are really on the rise. Um, and I'm excited to see that, but it is not on black women to save the rest of us. Um, but they are right. They are helping to save a country that has never worked to save them. So if, uh, if you're a white person listening to this and you know, a black female, make sure that you are, um, you know, doing the work that you need to do to show up in a way that helps support them. And it's, and it's not just for black females, but right now in this space, we really need to focus on protecting them and uplifting them because, uh, not only have they shown up in ways that have saved us, but they, um, have traditionally been the ones that are the most marginalized, the most oppressed, the most harm. Okay. Um, so that's my little PSA for today, but know that this is work that you have to do on your inside. Um, Go forth, conquer the the stuff that's in you so that you go forward in this work where you can stand in the gap and help to uh, usher in some change that we need. So with that, I hope that you all have a wonderful weekend. Make it a great day or not. 
the choice is yours. The records I listen to They don't sound like the same old shit that you used to The clothes I wear You might not be up on it yet Y'all just ain't up on it yet What you think, what you say, what you might do When the crowd in the place is nothing like you Do you stay, run away, do you fight The only people I can stand to be around On the same shit that I'm on On the same shit that I'm on oh. The only women that I know is really down On the same shit that I'm on On the same shit that I'm on oh. Whether I'm high up in the sky On the same shit that I'm on On the same shit that I'm on Shit that I'm on, on the same shit that I'm on. Oh, the only 